0: Welcome to episode 9 of the VMA's podcast, where we'll be discussing the Old Testament portion of this week's reading plan. My name is Anton Brooks, and I'm here with David Schrock, the pastor of preaching and theology here at Aquaquam Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let's start with Exodus 4, verses 1 through 5. I'll go ahead and kick things off by reading that. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob had appeared to you. In these verses, God gave Moses a way to show the people a sign so that they would know that he was sent by God. Should we look for signs like this today for verification that a preacher or a teacher is from God?
1: So if we're looking to see if uh, the apostles and the prophets are faithful teachers of the word, then yes, uh, because that's certainly the way in which Scripture speaks uh, to confirm their teaching. uh, right? So 2 Corinthians 12 uh, talks about this. Um, when it talks about the apostles, in Second Corinthians 12.12, 12, uh, Paul says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So it seems that throughout the Bible, going back to Moses, the same was true of Elijah and Elisha, uh, as well as Christ, and then the prophets after him, or I should say the apostles after him, there were signs that were given to confirm the word of God that was proclaimed. Whenever that took place, it was a revelation that was coming from God. Uh, and so today, because we believe that the, the canon has been closed, because uh, the Word of God has been fulfilled and finalized in Christ, and the apostles who bore witness to Him, uh, this is not the way that we would recognize a true teacher today. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that in part because of a passage like 2 Corinthians 12. We also know that because what God has given to us in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, Are testimonies of how we recognize a faithful elder or pastor. Right. Right. And it's not the signs or the charisma that they have, but rather their character. Yeah. Right. So, what is the sign of a true teacher today? Well, it's that they are godly. It's that they're sober minded. It's that they're blameless. They're above reproach. That they are faithful to their family. Uh, These are the signs that we should be looking for. Of course, we don't call them signs. We call them qualifications uh, for someone who's been teaching the Word of God today. And really, it's the the work of the Spirit in the life of, of a brother who would be leading in the church in that way and teaching God's words. I think mm. that's where we should see that and uh, and not to apply directly <laughs> what we see with Moses to someone today.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's a great word. Why in verses 21 and 22 did God harden Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the Israelites go?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things we need to remember for the whole book of Exodus is what God, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly he is making himself known. In fact, there's a theme that runs throughout the book of Exodus of how God is revealing himself to his people, revealing himself to the nations, revealing himself to Egypt. And one of the ways that this takes place is by means of Pharaoh hardening his heart and opposing God. Right. So if we look at a passage um, in Exodus... Uh, Chapter 9, verse 16. It says, But for this purpose I have raised you up. So, speaking to Pharaoh, for this reason I've raised you up, for this purpose I've raised you up, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. Right? So, the greater that Pharaoh makes himself, the more Mm -hmm. that the power of God is displayed. Right? This even applies, I think, today with what we see in a book like Revelation. It talks about why is Satan still allowed to do the things that he does in this world? Because the more power that he shows, the more wickedness that is displayed through the things that he does, the more power and the more grace and the more glory that God receives as he eventually will be defeating the powers and the principalities. Uh, so certainly we see that here uh, with Pharaoh. And uh, perhaps just the bigger question, as we think about just uh, the heart of Pharaoh, uh, is just laid out in how God sovereignly works uh, in the lives of people that he has made for his purposes. Right? So we see God's sovereignty at work in the book of Exodus. Um, in the ESV Study Bible, there's actually a really helpful chart uh, right. that talks about just the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It begins uh, in chapter 4, verse 21. Uh, and there it says that, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Like, so God is the one who is sovereign over all of this. Uh, In fact, the very last time that it speaks of Pharaoh's heart being hardened, again, is God who is doing that. And in between, we see that at times, uh, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. There's actually only three times. Uh, Most of the time, just that his heart was hardened, and it doesn't then identify if it was God or Pharaoh. Uh, But put that all together, and I think we find a theology that says, God is one who sovereignly orchestrates the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, But the way that he does that is by handing Pharaoh over to what he wants to do, right? So just as in Romans 1, it talks about those who are given over to their own sins of the flesh, or their sins of their desires, that's what we see taking place. Pharaoh is doing what he wants to do, but time and time again, uh, his heart is being hardened as he's doing these things, and God is using that hard heart to glorify his name.
0: In Exodus 5, after Moses and Aaron asked Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, Pharaoh punishes the Israelites by making their work harder. Consequently, in verses 22 and 23, we read, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Was God doing evil to his people as Moses had suggested? Uh,
1: no, <laughs> it is impossible uh, for God to do evil. Right? It is impossible for God to be evil. Right? First uh, John uh, one talks about the fact that He is light, and in Him there is no darkness. Right? It is not as though uh, God does good most of the time, but sometimes He has to use means to do evil things. No, He always does what is perfect and holy. Um, however, the way that we can perceive what He is doing. Is often not as clear Mm -hmm. as what the testament of scripture gives to us. Right. Right. And so, certainly, this call that God has upon Moses and the people of Israel, uh, it's going to increase the wrath of Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. It's going to increase the hardness uh, of their situation. Uh, I'm reminded of what we saw last week with John the Baptist. Right. In John the Baptist, uh, we see that he is perfectly following the Lord in obedience to Him, and yet it doesn't lead him to, you know, light and easy pastures, but it leads him to prison. Right. Right. And so he's questioning God: Has the kingdom come? Is this the Messiah? Are you the one, Jesus, uh, who is to come? Uh, and Jesus reassures him with the promises from the Old Testament. But it certainly would look from John the Baptist's vantage point that these things that are taking place are evil, and God is allowing bad things to happen. Uh, and yet we know this is all part of God's plan to do what is good.
0: Seemingly, there's a whole theology today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you turn on the TV and you happen to catch a, a televangelist, you might see them saying something like, live your best life today. Yeah. And if you are, matter of fact, I heard um, a pastor say that if you don't have any money, <laughs> then you are not saved. If you are poor, then you're not saved. So uh, seemingly they are equating earthly uh, success or yeah. wealth or pleasure yeah. with um, salvation.
1: Yeah. yeah. And again, this may come from some misreading of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Because the old covenant system was that if the people of Israel obeyed God, they kept covenant with Him, that He would prosper them, mm-hmm. right? That their uh, their barns would be full and their houses would be full and they would be prosperous in these ways. But because the new <laughs> covenant is not a Uh, A material promise here and now in this age. Mm -hmm. It is material in the sense that we will be raised from the dead on the last day. It is a promise of a new heavens and a new earth. So we don't want to say it's immaterial. But in this age, we are called to suffer. Uh, We are called to follow and uh, even follow and to take up the cross and follow Christ. It's like that's inviting um, difficulty. Uh, That may be material, that may be financial, that may be any number of different ways. So we can't look at our bank statement and then decide whether or not God is blessing or cursing. Uh, There's far more to be Mm -hmm. considered in that. And maybe just one passage that helps us to think through these things um, is a passage like Hosea chapter 6. Hosea 6 says this, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. Mm. He has struck us down, that He will bind us up. And there are purposes in the Lord that sometimes become evident as we look back in our lives. Sometimes we don't see them clearly. Right. But we know that the character of God is actually to tear us down at times in order to purify our hearts and to heal us in His way. Right. Right? He brings us to positions where we are struck down and stuck uh, and we would do anything we could to get out of the position that we're in and yet God is at work be able to do that right right? we see it time and time again with the people of god in the old testament um, that actually some of the god's kindest actions to us are not answering our prayers but actually saying no to us because what we desire will actually lead away from him and he protects us and prevents us from getting what we want yeah so that we will get more of him and ultimately that is for our good and for his glory
0: that actually reminds me of something that a coach told me one time. I don't know if this is applicable, but we were in the gym and we were lifting weights and he yeah. was telling us how in order to get stronger, um, our muscles had to tear yeah. and then they would rebuild. So the pain that we felt was actually making us stronger over yep. time. And so I kind of look at it um, that way that sometimes there is a, a process of, of, in the process of strengthening, sometimes there is pain or struggle. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if, if that relates directly to Hosea, but... No, I think,
1: <laughs> I think that's a good illustration, right? So my background was exercise science. Yeah. I, I, I can <laughs> affirm the fact that the way that muscles build is by tearing them, right. microscopic tears, and then they're being rebuilt mm-hmm. in that way, um, you know, and so... The adage is a little cliche to say, you know, no pain, no gain. Right. Uh, But certainly scripture teaches through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. Right. Right. And and so those things that God is doing in our life that are so painful and so hard are not without purpose. Mm -hmm. We may not today know what they are, but he is working all these things for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his plans and purposes. Uh, And we can trust him in that.
0: Right. And like you said, so often we can look back after the trial and it's sometimes very easy to recognize, oh, now I see why God has um, allowed me to go through this because he was preparing me for, for this. Yeah, That's right. I've seen yep. that. All throughout Exodus, we read about Moses and Aaron leading the people out of Egypt. Why is it historically we always seem to focus only on Moses?
1: That's a good question. Uh, I don't even know if I've quite thought about that before, yeah. uh, which just proves the point that we think about Moses and not yeah. Moses and Aaron. Um, you know, Moses is the historic leader. Right, he's the one who mediates the covenant. He's the one who's brought up to Mount Sinai. And he's the one who's given uh, the commandments. He's given the law. And he's mediating that. Um, in so many ways, he's greater than Aaron. Yeah. Right? Because when Aaron fails, Moses goes back and intercedes on behalf of Aaron. And Correct. Moses is used to appoint Aaron to be the, the lead priest there uh, in Israel. Uh, we also see in a passage like Exodus 7, verse 1, um, that Pharaoh, excuse me, uh, Aaron, is chosen by God to be the prophet, mm-hmm. the mouthpiece of Moses. In fact, we even learned what a prophet is in the relationship between Aaron and Moses. Right. right? Because in that passage, it's really strange, uh, Exodus 7 1 says, and the Lord said to Moses, "See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet." Hmm. Right. So, what do prophets do in the Old Testament? They're the ones who are speaking the words of God. The way that Aaron became a mouthpiece for Moses. Right. Now it seems as though Moses continues to speak through here. So we're not exactly sure how that played out. Right. But certainly that seems to be part of the relationship, um, and Moses and Aaron are key for just all that takes place in Exodus beyond. Maybe one last thing is that in the New Testament, there's little that is said about Aaron Mm -hmm. and a lot that is said about Moses. Right. Right. So in John chapter 1, the contrast between Moses who receives the law and Jesus who comes and brings uh, grace and truth, um, Aaron's not mentioned at that point in time. Right. Uh, But in Hebrews, Aaron is mentioned and that Christ is a greater priest than anyone from uh, the liturgical. Uh, tribe. So, um, yeah, I think we just have to put all those things together, and uh, maybe it's just the contrast between the covenant-mediating role that Moses and and Jesus had.
0: In Exodus 7-11, through read about the ten plagues. What was God's purposes for the plagues?
1: Uh, I think we see a number of things. Um, If you go to Exodus 7, verse 5, uh, again, the language there says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them, right? So, we can say that the plagues were given to reveal God to the people of Egypt, to show that He is the one true and living God above all of their gods. The same thing is to be communicated to the people of Israel, who are being brought out of Egypt, who at that time would have known those gods in Egypt, maybe even worshipped those idols. Ezekiel 20 talks about the fact that the people in Israel were worshipping the gods of Egypt at that time, so God is making himself known. That continues to be a theme mm-hmm. throughout these chapters. Second thing is that God is coming to actually punish uh, the gods of Egypt. Right? Exodus 12 verse 12 says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, so this is now speaking about the last plague, mm-hmm. um, the, the, last, uh, the Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt by both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. Mm. I am the Lord. Right. So it seems as though that as God goes through and the Nile is turned to blood, this is their source of life, and now it's a source of death. Right, and the frogs come up, and the gnats come up, and the flies come up, and the hail comes down, and, and darkness comes. All of these things are in some ways kind of knocking off one god after another. And maybe we can't make a, a direct correlation for all of them, but right. certainly at the end of the day, there is one god who has power over all of these spheres. Mm. It's interesting that it begins with the first plague in the waters and then it seems to come to the land, and then it comes into the skies. All the different areas of creation are under God's power to bring judgment upon the people of Egypt, and to separate the people of Israel from them. And so we see God's judgment upon the gods of of Israel. And then a third thing again is this idea of separation. The judgments are coming uh, in the land of Egypt, not in the land of Goshen. The people of Israel are in Goshen, and they have light when Egypt has darkness. right, right, They are protected uh, when the hailstorm comes. Um, and so there's just a lot of just details that are here that God is just thoroughly uh, saving His people, showing Himself, punishing the gods, separating the people of Israel. Um, and ultimately from all of this, it's revealing the hearts of the people. So in Exodus 9 uh, verse 14 Uh, It says, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourselves and on all your servants and your people, so that that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. And then verse 20 says, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So in the seventh plague, when the hail comes, actually a word of warning is given, and those whose hearts actually believed what was being said uh, went and protected their things, right, right? Yeah. they listened to the word of God, so it seems as though these plagues are revealing the heart, both the Pharaoh, and the people of Egypt, and the people of God.
0: That is really good, I've, I never I never saw that, and it's clear now that you say it, <laughs> the part especially about, um, not, not necessarily about the gods in, in Egypt, mm-hmm. um, I'd... I've noticed that before, but about Him revealing Himself to the Israelites, i would never made that connection before.
1: Listen to this, so we often, um, in Psalm 136, uh, it's this glorious Psalm with the refrain, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Mm -hmm. So every verse comes back with, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. But notice what it says. Uh, It says in verse 10 of Psalm 136, To Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the refrain through there. Verse Mm -hmm. 11, And he brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love uh, endures forever. So, what we see is that in this act of judgment, God is showing His love. Right. Right. So, the love that He has for His people is witnessed in the way that he's bringing them out from the nation of Egypt.
0: In the first three plagues, we see that magicians are able to do the same things as Moses and Aaron. How should we make sense of this?
1: Um, Probably just to begin with, uh, that we live in a world that is only explained, or say it differently, we live in a world that cannot be explained by material things Mm. alone there are spiritual realities right. in the world. Right. Already in the book of Genesis we have seen how God has come through the angel of the Lord to reveal Himself to His people. Right. So there are angelic beings that are in the world. Uh, now we see that these magicians, who are in some sense conjuring up certain realities, uh, are conjuring up certain powers, are imitating the things that God is doing. Right. And so, um, I think we should note The fact that there are spiritual forces, dark forces, at work in Egypt. Uh, And the rest of Scripture will bear witness to that as well. In the text of Exodus itself, I think we should see that okay, how are the magicians being uh, portrayed here? Right? So the first three. plagues, they are able to, to reproduce these things. right? But then after that, they are unable to do those things. The right. power of God is too great. And what do they become? They actually become witnesses for the God of Israel, saying to Pharaoh, hey, this is the finger of God. Like What we were able to do, either through dark magic or through trickery, right. Right? Uh, this God is greater so pharaoh stop fighting against him mm-hmm. and they themselves become witnesses to the power of god wow. so in the text of scripture itself we can see how they're being used so anytime we read scripture and we see a character it's helpful for us to kind of scan before and after see where does this character show up how is this character being used how is this character speaking and when we see all the things that are going on with magicians we can't just focus on the powers that they have Uh, to to also create serpents, right, right? or to turn water to blood, or anything like that. But rather, how do we see them then later bearing witness to the God of Israel?
0: Last question. In these plagues, there is a great focus on Pharaoh. What are we supposed to learn from him?
1: Yeah, there's lots of things we can learn here. Um, One, just with regards to sin, uh, is that repentance has to be wholehearted. Right, because there are places in which uh, Pharaoh comes to a point where he asks for the forgiveness of sin. Right? It's really striking. In uh, Exodus 9, for instance, in uh, verse 27, uh, he says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. For there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, if we just take those verses, I was like, okay, finally Pharaoh has come to the end of himself. He's repented. Yeah. He's, um, and yet, even there, he says, this time I have sinned. Right, yeah. Right? It's not like, I'm a sinner mm-hmm. who is in need of a Savior. But no, I've done wrong this time. It's been too much. But of course, then when God relents, and Moses and Aaron intercede for him to relent, uh, he hardens his heart even worse. Mm-hmm. right. This may actually uh, illustrate something that we'll see in our next podcast, uh, uh, or at least what we'll see in the Gospel of Luke, where it talks about the Spirit who leaves the house and comes back with seven. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that work? Right? Yeah, right. And I think what it is is that there, in Pharaoh's case, is an example of someone who has a kind of vain belief, like he's believing or repenting in part. But it doesn't continue. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he doesn't like the consequence, right? He doesn't like the effects of what has happened, but he doesn't see his need, Mm -hmm. right? His heart has not been changed. Uh, And so, this is just where in the scriptures we see that repentance is something that must be granted by God Himself. It's something that is wholehearted and something that continues. And just because somebody says, I'm sorry for my sin, it may be genuine. Time will tell. Mm-hmm. Or it may be they just don't like the consequences that have come because of their sin. They recognize it as wrong, but they go back to it. And mm-hmm. they haven't been changed from the inside out. So in Pharaoh, we learn something about sin. We learn something about God. right? God raises up rulers in the world. He raises up people in the world for His own purposes. right? Right. So again, uh, Exodus 9, verse 16, which is actually... Uh, quoted, in some sense, in Romans 9.16. So you can kind of remember those, Exodus 9.16, Romans 9.16. But in Exodus 9.16 it says, "...but for this purpose I have raised you up to show uh, you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in the earth, in all the earth." Right? So, Pharaoh is accomplishing the purposes of God. right? Even though he is resisting God, even though he is wickedly fighting against God's people, God is giving him this place in Egypt for this time in order to show his power, I think it just reminds us, as we look on the world scene, of all the rulers and just the powers and all the conflict that is going on. like God is sovereign over all of those. And though it may appear uh, that the Kim Jong Uns and you know the rulers in China and our own political rulers are doing things and doing things incredibly wickedly, right? right? God is yet sovereign over all of them and he will receive the glory in the last day. Mm-hmm. Right? So it just reminds us of God's sovereignty over all the rulers on the earth. And then last, in salvation, God will save his people, and there's nothing that can stop him from doing that. Right. right? No one was more powerful on the face of the earth than Pharaoh. No one could withstand uh, the gods of this earth more than Pharaoh, right. and yet he was like you know straw mm-hmm. in comparison to the fire of God. God had his way did his way and saved his people and uh, it shows us the power of God to save
0: this concludes our discussion of the Old Testament portion of our reading plan as you follow along with your reading plan if you have any questions or comments that you would like us to discuss please send them to obc.org. you may hear your response in our upcoming episodes
1: Via Emmaus is a podcast of Occoquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia our prayer is that you would read the Bible and read the Bible better For more resources related to this episode and the Gospel-Centered Ministry of God's Word, visit obc.org.